Section 11 of Feminism in Greek Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Feminism in Greek Literature by Frederick Adam Wright. Plato. Plato differs from most of the Socratic circle in that he is, above all things, a visionary and a theorist. He is essentially a masculine genius with him we hear nothing of wife and children and he lacks that grip of reality which the natural feminist euripides instinctively possesses he regarded the condition of society in his native city with a mixture of dislike and contempt and he saw that the main cause of this condition was the indifference to women and children which the ordinary athenian prided himself on displaying in his feminism and his educated reforms plato is deeply influenced by spartan teaching but the main structure is his own work based not on any actual experience but on ideal theory in this idealism lies both the strength and weakness of his feminist doctrine he refuses to allow himself to be influenced as aristotle after him was influenced by the actual state of inferiority to which athenian women had been reduced but in forming a society which should be the opposite of the degenerate athens of his day he is inclined to disregard some of the invincible facts of human nature plato's feminist doctrines are most clearly stated in the fifth book of the republic and the sixth seventh and eighth books of the laws these works are accessible to english readers or rather their rough substance is accessible for we can never reproduce the delicate music of plato's prose and his subtle irony evaporates in english in Jowett's translation and in the excellent version of the republic by davies and vaughan but it may be convenient to give a brief summary of his argument in the fifth book of the republic the ideal state is being discussed and the rule among friends everything is common property has been laid down it has moreover been made applicable to wives and children for plato at first hardly escapes from the fallacy that a man's wife is as much a piece of property as a dog or a table the organization of the communistic regime in detail then comes up for consideration but it is unanimously resolved that the question of community of women is of vital importance and must be explained at once the philosopher accordingly with some pretended reluctance begins with a prayer to nemesis i am on a slippery road and fear lest missing my footing i drag my friends down with me and thus approaches his subject the aim of our theory was i believe to make our men as it were guardians of a flock yes let us keep on the same track and give corresponding rules for the propagation of the species and for rearing the young and let us observe whether we find them suitable or not how do you mean thus do we think that the females of watchdogs ought to guard the flock along with the males and hunt with them and share in all their other duties or that the females ought to stay at home because they are disabled by having to breed and rear the cubs while the males are to labor and be charged with all the care of the flocks we expect them to share in whatever is to be done only we treat the females as the weaker and the males as the stronger is it possible to use animals for the same work if you do not give them the same training and education it is not if then we are to employ the women in the same duties as the men we must give them the same instructions yes 
to the men we give music and gymnastic yes then we must train the women also in the same two arts giving them besides a military education and treating them in the same way as the men the professional humorist is then requested to refrain from the obvious jokes suggested by the idea of women stripped for exercise or old ladies practicing athletics and to remember that all such things are purely matters of custom the real question is whether the nature of the human female is such as to enable her to share in all the employments of the male or whether she is wholly unequal to any or equal to some and not to others and if so to which class military service belongs women certainly are different from men but we must not be misled by the word different a bald-headed man is different from a long-haired man but he may be just as good a cobbler or a statesman so women differ from men in the part they play in the propagation of the species but that difference does not affect the question as to whether men and women should engage in the same pursuits the argument of the adaptability of the sexes to various occupations is discussed and this point is reached i conclude then my friend that none of the occupations which comprehend the ordering of a state belong to woman as woman nor yet to man as man but natural gifts are to be found here and there in both sexes alike and so far as her nature is concerned the woman is admissible to all pursuits as well as the man though in all of them the woman is weaker than the man precisely so shall we then appropriate all virtues to men and none to women how can we on the contrary we shall hold i imagine that one woman may have talents for medicine and another be without them that one may be musical and another unmusical undoubtedly and shall we not also say that one woman may have qualifications for gymnastic exercises and for war and another be unwarlike and without a taste for gymnastics i think we shall again may there not be a love of knowledge in one and a distaste for it in another and may not one be spirited and another spiritless true again if that be so there are some women who are fit and others who are unfit for the office of guardians for were not those the qualities we selected in the case of men as marking their fitness for that office yes they were then as far as the guardianship of a state is concerned there is no difference between the natures of the man and of the woman but only various degrees of weakness and strength apparently there is none then we shall have to select duly qualified women also to share in the life and official labors of the duly qualified men since we find that they are competent to the work and of kindred nature with the men it seems to plato that it is both practicable and desirable that men and women should have the same training and the same duties not indeed all men and all women for plato's is an aristocratic state and he is chiefly legislating for his guardian class but at least the better men and the better women so he does not shrink from the absolute similarity of education then the wives of our guardians must strip for their exercises inasmuch as they will put on virtue instead of raiment and must bear their part in war and the other duties comprised in the guardianship of the state and must engage in no other occupations though of these tasks the lighter parts must be given to the women rather than to the men in consideration of the weakness of their sex 
but as for the man who laughs at the idea of undressed women going through gymnastic exercises as a means of realizing what is most perfect his ridicule is but unripe fruit plucked from the tree of wisdom and he knows not to all appearance what he is laughing at or what he is doing for it is and ever will be a most excellent maxim that the useful is noble and the hurtful base thus the first wave of the discussion is successfully surmounted the second and more dangerous is the proposition that wives and children shall be held in common the company refused to admit without discussion that it is either desirable or practicable and a double line of argument is used if men and women are educated and live together human nature will soon bring about even closer associations any irregular union would be an offence against the state and it is of the first importance to science that the best citizens should have the largest number of children therefore marriages and births must be a matter of state regulation and any possible discontent must be averted by an elaborate system of pretense the details are fixed as fast as the children are born they will be received by officers appointed for the purpose whether men or women or both for i presume that the state offices also will be held in common both by men and women they will well these officers i suppose will take the children of good parents and place them in the general nursery under the charge of certain nurses living apart in a particular quarter of the city while the issue of inferior parents and all imperfect children that are born to the others will be concealed as is fitting in some mysterious and unknown hiding-place yes if the breed of the guardians is to be kept pure and will not these same officers have to superintend the rearing of the children bringing the mothers to the nursery when their breasts are full but taking every precaution so that no mother shall know her own child and providing other women that have milk if the mothers have not enough and must they not take care to limit the time during which the mothers are to suckle the children committing the task of sitting up at night and other troubles incident to infancy to nurses and attendants you make childbearing a very easy business for the wives of the guardians yes and so it ought to be the second argument may be briefly stated in the ideal state there will be no such thing as private property a man will not have a house or dogs of his own therefore for our philosopher again seems hardly to realize that the analogy between house and wife is not quite exact he will not have a wife and children of his own the whole subject concludes with a return to the original topic of equality of opportunity in these terms then you concede the principle that the women are to be put upon the same footing as the men according to our description in education in bearing children and in watching over the other citizens and that whether they remain at home or are sent into the field they are to share the duties of guardianship with the men and join with them in the chase like dogs and have everything in common with them so far as it is at all possible and that in so doing they will be following the most desirable course and not violating the natural relation which ought to govern the mutual fellowship of the sexes i do concede all this he replied then does it not remain for us i proceeded to determine whether this community can possibly subsist among men as it can among other animals and what are the conditions of its possibility you have anticipated me in a suggestion i was about to make as for their warlike operations i suppose it is easy to see how they will be conducted 
how he asked why both sexes will take the field together and they will also carry with them such of their children as are strong enough in order that like the children of all other craftsmen they may be spectators of those occupations in which when grown up they will themselves be engaged and they will require them besides looking on to act as servants and attendants in all the duties of war and to wait upon their fathers and mothers it will be noticed that plato does not shrink from the question of military service for women if a man is unwilling or unable to defend his country he certainly has no claim to citizen rights nor has a woman it may reasonably be argued that the qualification for a vote is neither property nor sex but the proof that the individual has passed through the period of training necessary to qualify him as a defender of the fatherland the qualities necessary for a soldier are three courage strength and skill no one acquainted with women can doubt that they possess the first in the passive courage which a modern soldier chiefly needs it is possible that women have a slight advantage over men and they usually recover more quickly from wounds the strength that is required in modern warfare is chiefly endurance the power to stand exposure to the weather insufficient food lack of sleep and comfort marching capacity no one who knows the vagabonds and strollers of our english roads will say that women are not capable of supporting all these hardships as well as men the female tramp is every whit as sturdy and hardy as her male companion finally the skill to handle a gun and the power of shooting straight are matters almost entirely of training the natural qualities a steady hand and a sharp eye that help such training are by no means predominantly male characteristics plato for his part is very insistent on this question and returns to it several times in the laws the state is to maintain schools where the art of war in all its branches shall be taught to males and females alike gymnastics and horsemanship are as suitable to women as to men boys and girls together must learn the use of the bow the javelin and the sling and in every well-ordered community at least one day a month shall be set aside for warlike exercise in which men women and children shall take part female education will include a definite military training the girls will learn how to use their weapons and to move about lightly in armor the grown woman will study evolutions and tactics finally in all public festivals and competitions the unmarried girl shall compete with the youths in running and in contests in armor it is on this point of military training perhaps that plato stands apart from modern sentiment most of his other ideals of feminine education are in process of being realized even that which allowed the educated woman to become herself a teacher and rank with male colleagues in the inner circle of the academy the first university college of which we know men and women met on equal terms and shared responsibilities and privileges the names of two such women neither of them be it noted athenians are recorded for us by dicearchus and lasthenia of matinea and axiothea of phileus who even used to wear male attire hold out their hands across the centuries to mrs bryant and miss busk plato indeed in spite of his idealism is often very practical and on the question of marriage his doctrine is most sound the simple law of marriage is this a man must marry before he is thirty-five if not he shall be fined and lose all his privileges mankind are immortal because they leave children behind them 
and for a man to deprive himself of immortality is impiety he who obeys the law shall be free and pay no fine but the disobedient shall pay a yearly fine in order that he may not imagine that his celibacy will bring him ease or profit moreover he shall not share in any of the honours which the state gives to the aged marriage is to be regarded as a duty and every man shall follow not after the marriage which is most pleasing to himself but after that which is most beneficial to the state this cannot be effected by definite regulations but we should try and charm the spirits of men into believing that their children are of more importance than themselves and that a child's disposition will depend upon the happy blending of its parents plato realizes that children are the state's vital interest and his concern for them extends to the period before birth husband and wife are to consider how they are to produce for the state the best and fairest specimens of children which they can if proper attention is given to anything success is certain and the eugenic system is to be under the definite control of a committee of women who shall meet every day and spend a third part of the day in ensuring that the regulations for perfect births are duly carried out their care is to be expressly extended to the future mothers for the period of a child's life before birth is equally decisive and the young wife must be carefully tended kept from excessive pleasures or pains and be encouraged to cultivate habits of gentleness benevolence and kindness then comes the proper management of infants and plato is very convinced of the importance of constant motion for the young child who in a greek household was often closely bandaged in swaddling clothes and left to its own resources he anticipates aristippus who holding that pleasure was the chief end of life found the best definition of pleasure to be a gentle motion and he is prepared to make his ideal state for infants at least a pleasant one the first principle in relation both to the body and soul of very young children is that nursing and moving about by day and night is good for them all and that the younger they are the more they will need it infants should live if it were possible as if they were always rocking at sea exercise and motion in the earliest years greatly contribute to create a part of virtue in the soul the child's virtue is cheerfulness and good nursing makes a gentle and a cheerful child this first period will last till the age of three when the child will begin to find out its own natural modes of amusement in company with other children from three to six boys and girls should live and play together after six they should separate and begin to receive instruction on the subject of co-education which may be regarded as the best practical solution for the cure of sex ignorance plato speaks with a rather uncertain voice his general theory presupposes an identity of training and the free mingling of boys and girls young men and women in sport and work but he is disturbed by his conviction of the natural badness of boys contrasted with girls of all animals the boy is the most unmanageable inasmuch as he has the fountain of reason in him not yet regulated he is the most insidious sharp-witted and insubordinate of creatures therefore he must be bound with many bridles the further difficulty that constant friendly intercourse between young men and women may lead to undesirable results is discussed at some length in the laws page eight thirty five and the very sensible conclusion is arrived at that a healthy public opinion will be the first result of these natural conditions of comradeship and that the general sentiment will be the strongest of checks upon undue license 
the importance of example in education and morals is rightly insisted upon the best way of training the young is to train yourself at the same time not to admonish them but to be always carrying out your own admonitions in practice finally education is of supreme importance to a country the minister of education is the most important officer of state of all appointments his is the greatest he will rule according to law must be fifty years old and have children of his own both boys and girls by preference at any rate one or the other these are some of the salient points of plato's teaching but a careful reading of the republic and the laws will reveal many further issues and many sidelights on the main thesis plato does not trouble to be rigorously consistent and like euripides he does not hesitate at times to play the part of the candid friend and to point out what he thinks are the natural weaknesses of the female sex sometimes he is right sometimes he is wrong women he says are too prone to secrecy and stealth they are accustomed to creep into dark places and resist being dragged into the light here plato seems to hit the truth if there is one quality call it virtue or vice as you will which is peculiarly a woman's and not a man's characteristic it is secretiveness the result of many centuries of self-suppression it gives a certain aggravating charm to the female mind and usually does no particular harm but it is perhaps the chief reason of women's comparative failure in literature sincerity in writing is the saving grace and if a book is not frank it should never be written few women authors resemble sappho or jane austen or mademoiselle colette in contemporary french literature who unlike though they are in the circumstances of their lives do all make a serious attempt at truth most women fail in frankness towards themselves and their readers george eliot ouida george sand to take another typical and strongly differentiated trio dissemble their facts as much as they dissemble their names like ostriches they hide their faces under a cloud of words end of section eleven